Your next success begins with University of Maryland Global Campus. For more than 75 years, UMGC has been giving working adults like you the affordable, accredited online education you need to reach the future you want. Because the path to success is different for everyone, we offer more than 125 undergraduate and graduate degrees and certificates, along with personalized support and lifetime career services. Plus, our 100% online and hybrid courses let you learn in the way that fits your schedule best, while affordable tuition and financial resources make UMGC accessible. And with no application fee through August 31st, there's no better time to get started. Find the education you need to create the future you want. Choose from fields like business, healthcare, data analytics, cybersecurity, and more, and take the next step in your career. Apply by August 31st, and we'll waive your application fee. Learn more at umgc.edu. Certified to operate by Chev. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, How to Stay Married So Far, and welcome if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, I'd just like to... Uh, add to this that we do unusually do our podcast from our home if you're listening so you will sometimes hear a dog or a child will sometimes pass through or even sometimes the postman knocks on the door but what we do is we just keep on running because i think um one of the really good things about our podcast is if i if i be if i may be so bold is that we do not edit it at all Whatever happens stays in, and Whatever we don't. Happens in the podcast stays, stays in, in the, the podcast. podcast, and we really don't discuss very much at all what we're going to talk about. We kind of get an idea, and then we just we just you know chuck it out there. And some podcasts, I think that's more evident than others. Yeah. Um, but today's one. Oh, actually, if you're on YouTube or you're just joining us, please could you hit the subscribe and the notification bell, just because we love it when people do that. Um, so. For those of you that are new to the podcast, Mark and I have um, been a couple of times in our marriage to a marriage guidance counsellor. I actually wish now that we'd gone before we even got married. I think it would have been a great... Mind you, maybe we wouldn't have ended up getting married. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'd have run in opposite directions. We would have, we would have been talked out of it, yeah, And also we? imagine the first thing a partner, a potential person says to you, well, let's go to counselling. I suppose in the olden days, that's what used to happen when people get married in church and they would go to the priest and then you had to have a certain amount yeah. of counselling sessions. Yeah, yeah, didn't I, you? I think so. there's something in that. So. But anyway, so we believe in it, as do the Obamas. It's like a psychoanalytically arranged marriage. Yeah, and so do the Obamas. The Obamas have recently plugged in again to their oh, marriage right. guidance counsellor. Yeah. And I think Mark and I, we've mentioned before on the podcast that we think it's probably time. There's been a lot of changes going on for us as a couple, as individuals, the world, everything. There seems to be more stress. The planet, planet seems more fragile. We all feel more fragile. And so we have talked about finding a marriage guidance counsellor and plugging back in again. So we thought a good podcast would be to... Um, look into what are the reasons for approaching a marriage guidance counsellor. How to know when you need a yeah. marriage counselling. How to know. <clears throat> and there is actually a lot out there. I've got a bit of good news, actually. Because I've been looking around on the internet. Guess what? Marriage rates supposedly are on the decline. Right. Which is great, isn't it? Well, it's often said... Marriage is on the decline. Which is great. I don't no, understand. no. But it's often said that uh, 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Right. This is the good bit of news. But that number has remained unchanged for 30 years. Right. I would have thought that would have been an incline well, if, on that. But effectively it has gone down because the number of marriages has declined. Well, I'm just trying to give a bit of good news. Yeah. Well, I don't understand what the good news is in there. Well, the, the, 
we believe that it's getting worse and worse and worse, but actually it's not. Well, you could argue that fewer and fewer people are seeing the point of getting married. So. <laughs> okay, I tried, folks, but you see, Mark's good at numbers and no, I'm not. No, no, it's just, you <laughs> know, just that, that idea that you can read statistics in totally different ways. Yeah, it's the cup half full, cup half empty, isn't it? God, that was just us Yeah, but in you, a even nutshell. before you said that, go back to what you just read out. You were already at the beginning Marriage defining the... on a decline. So the cup is already smaller. Well, Before you said, and then you said the cup's basically <laughs> you're saying the cup's much smaller, but it's more half full, or it's the yeah. same half full. Yeah. So if that's the cup that it used to be, and that's half, and that's the cup now, and that's half, it's gone down. Yeah, but it's not getting any worse. It is. Oh, sorry. Fewer people are getting married. <laughs> what that a bugger some, that, that I have already said in this that we never edit anything out because now all that's going to go in, and I'm going to sound like a right blank. So fewer people are staying married, basically. But it's the same anyway. number of those that get married. Now, of course, divorce for many will often be... Swift. ...the healthiest <laughs> choice. Not because swift. some people are in very toxic or could be in dangerous relationships or whatever. That's set aside. Oh, yeah. Or a danger to the children. A danger to the children or whatever. That's set aside. We just want to look at the reasons um, that the professionals give. Because, again, we are not professionals. We're just sharing our experience, seeing if that helps anyone. So, number one reason for going to uh, see a counsellor when, is when communication, and I'm reading this, has become negative. Once communication has deteriorated, it's often hard to get it going back in the right direction. That's so true. Yeah, that's interesting. That's so true. Well, that's interesting because with a quick snapshot of our relationship, it would be easy to say that I approach everything negatively and you, you approach everything positively. I was reading something yesterday about the fact that there is negative positivity. And oh, God, here we go. No, 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 no there is. And there, there, there's ways and means of sort of insisting on seeing the world that actually can add to stress, can add to fear, is sort of like a sort of verbal band-aid to just make oneself feel better about things in the short term Thank now. God but I can do that. Thank God I can. It, well, it where might, I yeah, stand but it might it's work a whole for you. lot yeah. better than people But, but all I'm saying is, is that it's, it's never all one thing or all another. So yes, you could say that I look at things in a negative way in terms of communication. I would say that you don't look at stuff in a negative way No, 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 no but I will, I, often it's absolutely required mm. to look at things honestly and un unflinchingly and not just in the worst case scenario, but in order to prepare I'm a great one for, you know, forewarned is forearmed. Mm. And it's easy to get shot down when you're a forewarned or forearmer because you're mm. having to face full mm. on. But you've got to be careful what you're saying here now because you also have talked a lot about being a person that suffers from anxiety. Oh, absolutely. So anxious people, and we were having this conversation earlier on today, <clears throat> what they do is, people that suffer very badly with anxiety, is that they believe that if they're constantly thinking about the worst outcome, they are somehow prepared for yeah, it. Yeah. And there is somewhere in between that. So I do think, you know, it's very valuable the way that you are, and you are a strategist, and I think that that's God, uh, good, and thank God for it, otherwise God knows what state this family would be in. But you also self-harm by catastrophizing. But actually, we've gone off the point here. Well, yeah, this so is, we're not talking about our... We're talking about when communication becomes negative as a reason to go and see a counsellor. So, what so sort that of would be it? something like... Oh, well, ba 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 
You know that tone, you know, that we get into, and yeah, yeah. all couples do. Well, I would have thought that you would have da 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 when everything is on the downbeat. Yeah, and I think the reason that's... And sometimes that you can get into such cycle, and neither you might go into your separate areas of the house and think, oh God, why are we just talking to each other like this? How do we get off this track? And I think that that's what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I think the, the problem with that, really I, think, I think the reason that spirals, and when I think back to counselling, and I wish we could employ it a bit more sometimes, is that generally, generally, even if two people in a, in a situation, I'm just gonna have to tell Toffee to stop doing that. Toffee. That's the dog. The very stop annoying it. dog. We love her, but she's very Toffee. annoying. Toffee, away. Um, sorry. Uh, there's, I think where that becomes complicated and where it becomes really, really toxic is where one person in any given situation where that sort of tone or negative talking creeps in feels for whatever reason that they're right in the, on that occasion to be talking like that. So therefore, there's always what I call, and I use it a lot in our rails, which is there's always mitigating circumstances to justify it in some situations, but it feels like the mitigating circumstances pretty much only ever fall one way for the person. And, and I'd say that that's something between us, that, yeah, I, I can talk negatively and you pull me up on it. I don't like being pulled up on it if I'm a bit sort of not this or I'm a bit that, or, and, but I will listen and I will hear. And you will sometimes, but there'll be times in a, in a row where neither one of us will, will accept that that's, that's mm. actually the situation. And I think that's when it becomes really, really difficult. And I wish there was some way sometimes that before it kind of quite quickly escalates mm. into more than just negative communication, it goes from to fucking DEFCON 5 within seconds. We had some, and that's why I think couples counselling would be good, we had some kind of um, levy that would sort of damn the flow, you know, in some way at some point. Mm. Because it goes, sometimes I you know, related to the most slightest comment, but because it's built up in you, say, you'll suddenly go off, like shit off a shovel about something, and it's just like, whoa, whoa. And then after the event, you'll explain the build-up, and that makes sense. And it's like, well, why can't we just calmly fucking say that? Yeah, and and that's what, the, you know, one of these tips, why this is number one in there. Of course, communication is everything in a relationship. It doesn't matter what relationship you've got, whether that's with your parents, your children, yeah. whatever. And when that starts to break down, then your marriage is in is in danger. Um, and of course, for people listening, it can go the other way, can't it? Where people, and it says this here on this um, site that I'm looking at, where it becomes non-verbal. Yeah. Where the person just completely shuts down and doesn't speak. Yeah. And so it's very clear on here that that is really a time when couples counselling can really, really help. But I think both of us get to those points. Yeah. You, you say you say you want me to be honest, but I can't be honest, and you, you close down. There are times when I just think, she ain't going to listen to a fucking thing I say, and I shut down. And so there are moments where one does go to mm. separate corners of the house, and, yeah, you feel very fed up, mm. you feel very unheard, you feel... And, and then you yeah, do, I mean, you do when get... when I feel that, I feel... I, I, it's a total sense of hopelessness. Yeah. It's utter darkness. Because when you've got to the point where you just think this is going to be completely misunderstood or, and this is something that I think a lot of couples get into, I know exactly what he's going to say. I know exactly what she's going to say. And actually, none of us ever know exactly what another person's going to say. But we sure can get into the negative patterns of going, oh God, this is going to end up this way. And so I think that, I think that's why yeah. It is, it is a, it, it's, people might think, well, that's not enough to go and see a counsellor for, but I think it's the root of all evil. So I would say, first port of call, actually. Okay, so I want to move on to number two, because there are seven here, so we can't go into massive detail with each one. Number two, second reason, when one or both partners consider having an affair 
or one partner has had an affair. Now it says here, recovering from an affair is not impossible. Good news. Um, but it does take a lot of work and it takes commitment and willingness to forgive and move forward. There is no magic formula for recovering from an affair. Um, but if both individuals are committed to therapy and to being honest, the marriage may be salvaged. At the very least, it may be determined that it is healthier for both individuals to move on. And actually, I'm thinking of a couple of friends that I have that I think that's the really good thing to listen to, that even if you are feeling that it's the end of your relationship, it's still a good idea to get counselling so that you can do it Absolutely. in a, the least toxic way possible. Well, I, I do remember in, a, in a, a previous relationship where obviously I was responsible for that and it was less an affair, it was more, an aff more a fling. Um, you know, we went to counselling and I think where that counselling could have helped would have been if, because this is certainly the way it was steering, was that it was it was trying to quite objectively analyse where the impulse had come from, mm. and not just take a stance of punishing On the, the action. Yeah, mm. or pu punishing the person who's done it wrong. Now, you know, many many people can have flings or affairs and, and realise that they've made an enormous mistake. You know, they've made a cataclysmic mistake that they will regret for the rest of their life, and it's very hard to return to a relationship and know that, in a sense, know that the person can or should or could forgive you, and yet you can see that they're absolutely heartbroken and it's shifted something in them for, for life. And that's why, I, you know, eventually that relationship couldn't last, because I'd, I'd essentially broken that person's heart. Mm. Um, so, you know... But I it do, would have been great I do, if you could have stayed with the counselling, because, yeah. then, because then that relationship But we did became... walk away from the counselling situation yeah. too soon, and I think it wasn't a case of, I think... Mm. I think the other person involved saw it very much as sort of not sanctioning my behaviour, but trying to explain it, and, and in so doing was simply saying there was a logic to it. And Great shame for her, because that toxicity has just literally carried through the whole well, of Well, yeah, and that toxicity life. can and carry through. And it, and it did, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and if I'm honest, I think the guilt and shame that I felt around that for a long time also, mm. and, and taking the role of sort of, not villain, that's too strong, but the, you know, the person who'd been the the cuckolder, you know, I've sort of carried that with me all my life. So certainly in my drinking life, I knew that I was always had a proclivity to flirting and, and dis destroying relationships. It was another one of the reasons for stopping drinking was I didn't want that sort of re repeated again at this point in my life. And so you sort of knew that, you know, I think I hardwired into my sort of drinking life and therefore my social life, the idea that, that matters of the heart didn't matter and I could be brisk with them and move on quickly. Do you know what I mean? So I was always very mm. sort of cursory. So I think it's interesting how it might not have been right, you know, counselling then might not have saved the relationship, no. but it might have made, given us a softer landing yeah. to move on. Oh, God, yeah. So I mean, I, just yeah. knowing what I know from it, oh, God, yeah. But yeah. you were young, you know. Yeah, know. These things come to us when they're older. It's, it's so easy to look behind. Okay, number three. Um, when the couple seems to just be occupying the same space, in that, I think this means... Sat on um, the sofa all the time? No, 
it, it, it doesn't mean that you should be doing everything together, but I think, again, it's that breakdown of communication, conversation, intimacy, right. you know, no sex life, no, no, you know, you could be in the same room night after night after night doing completely opposite things, right. or Present one person's apart. upstairs on the computer, the other person's downstairs. Or yeah, I mean, that's a hard one to balance, isn't it? Because at the same time, within any relationship, you're wanting to factor in, you like to have your meeting, I mean, you've talked on some of these podcasts, how you'd like your time to be able to just sit in a room and just... Be on your own. Oh, but I don't think they're talking about that. That would be it. Would be toxic not to have time yeah, on your own. That's what I mean. They're talking about when, when people. Well, everyone just, has pre-prescribed roles, and they just kind of go well, through. They're the just motions. coexisting, not talking, no conversation. Well, that's my no idea laughter. of hell. That's my idea of hell, and I mean that's when sometimes you know when we have terrible rows or things aren't going right or things are odd or weird. And I sort of think, you know, there's a feeling in both of us sometimes in those rows that we want things to be normal. Why can't we just be normal? Why can't we be a normal partner? Why can't we be just like normal men or normal women? You know, what is normal? There is no such thing as normal. It's nonsense. And yet at the same time, um, it is hard to not fall into habits. I suppose it's things like, you know, cooking. And I mean, are we talking about observing the same roles within a family dynamic? No, I think what it's talking about is that that... This could seem to a couple, why should we go and see a counsellor? We're not fighting. We're not having affairs. So you're on autopilot. Yeah, we're just, we're just coexisting. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not actually, we're not a shared partner. We're not, yeah. we're not, we're not lovers. We're not friends. We're not, and, my, and people might almost feel guilty about going to see, because it's all right enough. But if you're unhappy, you're unhappy. And, and they are suggesting that actually... And, and I suppose there might be a sense of fruitlessness, you know, like we are this now, we are brother and sister and I think, that's but it. I, I think it goes, I think, the, I think the word malaise is a really good one. I think yeah. the malaise can run deeper than that and is more complicated than that in some relationships I've observed. I think there's almost a vested interest in maintaining that status quo of cruising around each other in autopilot from, you know, and observing almost the same sort of... Uh, rhythm and, and, and functioning, coexisting and yeah. it not... And I think... The reason there's a sort of vested interest in that happening is it means they don't have to go into any of what they're actually feeling because actually they are probably feeling ignored, uh, unromanticised, uncared for, uncherished, unlooked after, unheard. And yet the the routine, and I mean emotional routine as much mm. as physical routine of just kind of in autopilot going around each other, allows you to just forget that because it seems functional, it's functional yeah. enough. it's like, it's not that bad. No. You know, some people are in I see it more as a sign of depression. Some people are in violent relationship. God, my husband's not having an affair, you yeah. know. And so number five, uh, five number four leads on quite well from that. And it's another reason to go and see a counsellor. That's what we're talking about. Um, is that how to this know you need marriage counselling if yeah. you've leapt in halfway through? Yeah, he says here many times I've heard couples say we know what's wrong, but we just don't know how to fix it. Right, and that is, I think, the perfect time to go. Is that to number cancel. four? That's number four, which leads quite well on from right. um, when you're just coexisting. So, okay, yeah, well, there's something wrong. We don't know what, but we're kind of all right, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't know how to fix this anyway. We're just in our routine now. Right. This is it for the rest of our lives. And are you using? And are they saying that that's a problem when you're using that as a reason not to seek counselling? How is that? How does that manifest? They're just as... saying that couples will often say, "I know what the problem right, is." So, right. what's the point of me going to right, a counsellor? Right. They're not going to help me fix it. Going. That's a, that's a, that's, right. that for a counsellor is like delicious because they can give you coping meca- right. mechanisms and give you tools to try and work your way out of it. Right. So yeah. another reason. So 
Number five, when one partner begins to act out on negative feelings. So um, even if we are able to mask these feelings for a while, they're bound to surface. Negative feelings such as resentment or disappointment can turn into hurtful, sometimes harmful behaviors. I can recall a couple where the wife was very hurt by her husband's indiscretions. Although she agreed to stay in the relationship and work things out, she became very spiteful. It's interesting this because I think for a long time after you got sober, it was like once you'd been to rehab, it was like, oh, he's been to rehab. This is so amazing. And it was. Mm. But I, and you'd had all, you'd had a month of therapy and you'd had a month of group thing. And I was kind of just left going, fuck. Yeah. Because, of course, before, just before you'd got in, it had got to a terrible state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were still so, left at that point. So I was holding so much resentment. Yeah. I was in a really bad way, and I didn't know how to work it out because I knew that it wasn't really your fault, and you've got this disease, alcoholism, and you've done everything you can, and you were never going to be able to drink again. And So I felt the most in the wrong I'd ever felt. And I did feel terrible resentment and terrible rejection of you. And... Yeah, I mean, that's actually when we went to a counsellor. It was. We went to a counsellor well, then, because, the because I thought, the it's not going to last. Yeah, well, a, you'd I, become very jealous because I'd removed myself more yeah. from you, because I was more angry with you. Mm. So that was exacerbating. The more I pulled away, the more jealous I stopped drinking, so I thought that made me less interesting. And we know for a hundred, I mean a hundred percent, there is absolutely no way we would still be together if we hadn't gone to that counsellor. No. I mean, I was dead. I was just like dead. I felt dead to all of it. I was just exhausted. Mm. I think when anybody, and you were exhausted, you know, when anybody's gone through any trauma, whether it's within a relationship, whether it's finding out about an affair, you know, addiction, whatever, depression, these things are, these things are massive. These things are massive mm. and it can leave you, even though you love that person, just reeling and wondering whether you can take another step. Well, I do think, and, I and, do, go on. And I think at those times, reaching out honestly honestly you can turn things around if you still have the willingness you've yeah. got to have the willingness you really can we were at rock bottom no, I, I mean, remember some of the council i remember some of the counseling sessions thinking this is never gonna yeah. this is not gonna work out i mean they would end so i mean that's another really salutary tale actually yeah. don't think that just because your sessions your counseling sessions take God, the then. most terrible turn Cruelly. i mean i think in one of them nadia stormed out and um you know it doesn't, well, as you can see, it doesn't necessarily mean it's over. It can potentially mean that you're making progress. It's like all great things often take a bit mm. of pain. And, and mm. the thing that, I mean, it's, 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 it's the, the, the most common thing, if, you know, as you get older and you're certainly when you're a parent of kids and you try and impart any pearls of wisdom, given the fact that you're a grown-up child still wondering what the fuck it's all about, is that being truly emotionally honest... I'm sorry, it just turned off. Oh, no. Oh, sorry about that. We don't know what happened. Just out of the blue, my phone turned off. So we are back. Okay. I think I was saying something along the lines of honesty. Yeah. And so one of the one of the few pearls of wisdom I have learned is that it it, it can only pay dividends, even if in the short term it's going to cause not necessarily upset, but if you can just be as emotionally honest as possible. If you genuinely love the person that you're sitting in a room with, but you've got some uncomfortable truths you want to share about them or they've got, they want to share about you, you need to hear them in as unflinching a way as possible, but that can still be done sensitively, bizarrely. It really can. And I think the great thing about a counsellor is, 
is that where one or other of the partners maybe struggles with the presentation of that information, the counsellor can very much get involved and sort of translate what's being said into a more sort of considerate. So, you know, I mean, it's, so there'd be times where, for example, Nadia would be extremely angry and hurt and upset, something around jealousy that, you know, my behaviour had made it her, it, her unable to access the sort of more tender and sensitive side to her. And so there would be stuff that came out which in a row or an argument without the help of a counsellor, I would just react to and I would just see as a kind of character assassination and then it would actually fuel the jealousy or fuel the problem in hand. Whereas what would happen is through the kind of process of translating through, through a counsellor, I could hear that actually at the back of that fury was, was something kind of... And, and so, but it also gave me the safety of being able to express how I honestly felt with, uh, where maybe I'd stay quiet or I would articulate it through jealousy. I'm using jealousy as an example because we have particular problems with it. But, you know, you know I, 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 could, I had a forum to explain where my jealousy was coming from and to honestly explain that it wasn't just about a negative stance on you or a not trusting you. It was about not trusting things in myself. It was about not mm. trusting the... Funny thing is, I always knew that. Yeah, but where, whether you did or not... <laughs> but, it, but there we go. When, when Earlier, when we said that... Uh, this counsellor had said often the partner knows the problem but they don't know how to fix it yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's where we'd certainly but sometimes to... it's not even about fixing it and I think that was something that we had to learn sometimes it's about saying it and just being heard and that then... does fix it well, that, so yeah, yeah, but that, yeah, but, yeah, but so say in, in our situation, rather than you trying to fix me, me saying something allowed it to become more fixed and I had a part in fixing it because I could say it. Likewise with you, what I'm saying is it's not about, you know, we're not always about fixing each other. Well, it's no, no, not fix, fixing each other. It's about fixing, fixing yourself. Fixing the situation yeah, so that yeah. you can, so that you're not just tied up in resentment and anger because... Where does that lead? It never gets you to a good place. No. It, only, it only ends up getting worse. Okay, so number six, when the only resolution appears to be separation. Um, okay, so when a timeout turns into an overnight stay away from home or eventually leads to a temporary separation, this may indicate a need for counselling. Spending time away from home does not usually resolve the situation. And I think... That's true. How many times when you've heard somebody go, oh, we're having a trial separation, do you think, well... That's over. That's over. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. honestly, don't yeah. you? Well, you know it's a pretty damn short... I mean, like, that, that's about as obvious a reason to go to counselling as there is. Actually, I don't think that would have been the case for us. I think because we were still really in love, I think if we'd separated, we would have still stayed together. Well, there have been situations and circumstances where across a week, you know, a couple of days would, you know, time out or a couple of days I'd, I'd head over to my mum's flat or something when she was away so I could just get away for a bit. Um, and be away from you because we were sort of like, you know, at each other all the time. So I do think, but I do think, I mean, I've had trial separations in the past and then you get back together and then the relationship falters well, Because what's going to have changed, unless you're going to have got a third party, yeah. I think, involved, or you're going to have put in, you know, use some of the tools that a counsellor gives you. I mean, we have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I do want to mention it again because it is one of the first things that counsellors get you to do. So you can try this at home if you can't yet get your other half to a counsellor, which is you set a timer and you each talk individually without the other one interrupting at all. You don't have to answer what the other person's saying. So Mark could sit and talk for 10 minutes, for instance, about how he's feeling neglected and unheard and whatever. And then I can either answer that in my 10 minutes or I could talk about something completely different because it's trying to just get you to listen to each other. 
Mm. And um, it, that's one of the, the biggest problems, I think, for all relationships, isn't it? Is really listening, especially over a long period of time. Because you, you, you do that thing that I mentioned earlier, you go, oh, well, I know what they're going to say here. I know you, what they're going to say. You shorthand every, everything shorthand, each other says. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really good... T- I can't remember what they call it, but... Yeah, yeah. it's a good technique anyway to try. Mm. So, um, so do you need to split? Do you need to go to counselling? Do you need to split up? Here's the seventh and final reason. Ooh, so when a couple is staying together for the sake of the children. Wow. Now, this uh, counsellor that, that, that I'm, that I'm um, reading out from, how would I say that? I'm quoting here, um, says, uh, doesn't really seem to think that that's a good idea. To stay for the sake of the children. But children know. They always Well, children know. always know when, when something's going on. So well. if you are in your head saying, I am desperately unhappy, we are unhappy as a couple, but we are staying together for the yeah. children, this is a big red flashing sign that what you might actually be doing is making everybody unhappy and really a counsellor could really help with this. What you need to watch out for in this situation as well is that the children, if you... I think too many families, especially in this country, think that we're far more effective at hiding things yeah. than we are. And I think everyone falls foul of it because yeah. sometimes it's just not, it's not practical, is it, to constantly sort of, you know, engage with whatever it is you're feeling, so you push on. The whole stiff upper lip thing, which is what, you know, for example, if I think back to my nan and granddad's relationship, in retrospect, he was an incredibly moody man. and. My great swathes of my safe childhood at my grandparents were dictated by the mood, the very gloomy mood of my grandfather. And I could also see how my nan was deeply, deeply irritating uh, and controlling unhappy. and unhappy. Yeah. So, you know, and they, they, for me, were the sort of, were the sort of, you know, the, the, the manifestation of a supposedly secure and stable family. And I could see within that that, you know, what I'm trying to say is every child knows on some level when things aren't going well. Well, that's what he, he says and here. worse than that, mm. many children, when they know, depending on how bad it's got, will start to internalise it and, and say it's their themselves. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it isn't always sensible to stay together yeah. for the kids. Well, he says here it's almost impossible to fake happiness to a child. They're totally. intuitive, they're intelligent, yeah. they pick it up, that he would have children say, oh, um, you know... I know my parents don't really like each other. They're nice to each other, but they never smile or laugh like my friend's mm. parents. So they mm. will, they do know. Yeah. I mean, God, our kids pull us up on everything. I think our kids know more about us than we do. But I, you know, I We do don't s- get away with a thing. And I do kids. think sometimes, especially as your kids get older, they know when, I mean, the most difficult thing is having awareness of one's own atmosphere one brings into a room. And because I'm a depressive and an alcoholic, I've had it often told to me when I'm doing that. And even if I don't agree with it, I will eventually come round to it. But I do think our children, children certainly as they get older, they know when the adults are bringing an atmosphere into the room. So you might not, for example, think that you're being stressy. You just think you're being motivated or whatever, but you are, there is... See the way he's getting his No, 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 but what I'm saying is... I know when I'm stressed. No, 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 but you don't, here's the thing, you don't always know what mood you're in or what atmosphere comes in with you. Nobody does, nobody always knows. But sometimes I think you can, if you're in a loving family and you, sometimes I do, 
sometimes it gets frustrating that if you are genuinely in love with each other, you have no vested interest in bashing the other person, which is why I, you know, one tries not to be vindictive in rows and things like that, because actually I do love this person. <coughs> I might not get it right all the time, but the last thing I'm willing to, can we not just have it as a given that we're all on the same page with loving each other and supporting well, each, I mean, each other? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's like so, rose-tinted glasses, isn't it? Of course, every relationship would work if people could just say, oh my God, no, I no, know no. that it just, but it just doesn't work like that. People are bringing in their own insecurities, their own fallibilities, their own worries, their own fears, and that all gets in the way of just going, oh my God, I know that you love me and everything you say comes from a place of love. That, that's, no, no, that's no, 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 no. Well, I suppose what, what I'm saying in that example is that it's, it, there, is always, there is always the potentiality of me being depressed or down, so it can always be attached to my mood, for example. Whereas what I'm saying is for very valid reasons, you can come into the house and be in a certain state or a certain place, you will be positioning it as something meaningful and constructive in your head, but to those around you, it's bloody annoying. And if the thing about children is children can very often be... They can pick that up on you before you even know it yourself. So, well, and I think children will go to each individual parent, like the kids come to me and they say, God, what's wrong with dad? Yeah. You know, and they'll say to you, God, what's wrong with mum? And, um, you know, I think, I think that's the same for every couple. Mm. Um, but I think the important thing is, is that if children, if you're able to let your children see that you make up also, that part of a relationship is arguing, is being irritable with each other. But the important thing for a child is that they get closure. It's really hard for them if they don't see any closure. If, you know, I will sometimes say to the girls, yes, look, yes, daddy annoys me to hell. Oh my God. Yes, daddy can be really irritating, but I love him. And he's also wonderful. And he's also this and he's that. And then that's teaching them that we, we, we all are. We're all made up of many different things. You know, nobody is wonderful all the time. Nobody is calm all the time. We're all, we're all, just, we're all just trying to get through the day at the end of the day, aren't we? I and I think if children see you accepting that in your partner, it lets them accept it yeah. in themselves as well. And Nobody's I, perfect. And I think a really important thing to stress is that if your relationship is you know, suffering from any one of these seven things and you're in that position, is to not use your children as the counsellor. Mm. I think a lot of relationships can end up using the children as almost the means of communication, also the way of kind of tapping in what sort I mean this classic what sort of moves your mum in, what sort of moves your dad in. You know, that sort of that sort of so the child is feeling the pressure of reading their parents' yeah, emotions. Toxic. You know, it's really toxic. Yeah. And and that happens beyond, you know, even when you've split up, certainly with separated children, you know, separated household with my eldest, you know, I know I would wrongly ask how her mum was through mm. her and you know, and it would put unnecessary pressure. Um, on the children. So there so, you go. So, wow, that is a lot of stuff we discussed there. I'm rather proud of I've just of had ourselves. a great idea for another for another podcast, which is which is all about bombing relationships, emotional bombs. When, because it's really for me. I remember that being a big part of our couples counselling was how it was the language we were using at the time. But we should maybe do a whole podcast on emotional emotional bombing. bombing. Yeah. Because it's a Next phrase time. where, where different, in different ways, each partner will find a way of sabotaging the situation in some way. Oh, God, that was exhausting. I'm not kidding. <sighs> that was totally exhausting. Oh, <laughs> Please, if you didn't subscribe at the beginning, subscribe to our YouTube channel and swap over. Maybe listen to it on a podcast. Podcast people maybe watch it on YouTube. And uh, sorry about the little break there. That doesn't usually happen. Bye. Bye.